Our text this morning is 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 13 to 21. Let's read those verses again. One Peter one verse thirteen and following. Therefore prepare your minds for action. Be self controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. In response to God's word this morning, we'll sing hymn 2, stanzas 1, 4, and 5. Beloved in Jesus Christ, for many people, hymn four is a favorite hymn. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Christians, young and old, love to sing this song. It's got a nice tune. The words are memorable. And it starts in that very distinctive way. Holy, holy, holy. God is holy. Now, it could be that we don't think much of these words anymore. That's what happens when something is very familiar. We perhaps don't know what they mean. But very simply, beloved, to be holy means to be set apart. That is, something that is holy has a special character. It's not an everyday, ordinary thing, but it's something unique. Our God is holy. God is set apart in every way. He's not dependent on anything or anyone. He's not stained by sin or pollution, but he's totally distinct from everything that corrupts. And what's more, our God is set apart in his majesty. There's no one glorious like him. God alone is holy in and of himself. And yet God is pleased to make other things holy too. What God makes holy is truly set apart. In the sense of being completely dedicated to the Lord's service. In the Old Testament, for example, the temple was called holy. The altar was holy. 
The incense was holy. The showbread was holy. The ark of God's covenant was holy. It was all holy because God had set these things aside as intended for his worship alone. And in the Old Testament, God made holy not only inanimate objects, but living people too. The priests who served in the temple were holy. Why, even every one of the Israelites was holy. As God declared in Exodus 19, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. They were holy, and God had made it so. But what did this mean in real life? Now that the Israelites were set apart to God, how were they to think and speak and act? Well, for them it meant being clean. Clean in what you ate. Clean in what you wore. Clean in where you lived. And being holy meant also being obedient. Obedient in how you worshipped, in how you did business, obedient in how you treated others. In short, they were called to be completely holy in everything, just as God is holy. And beloved, when we turn that page from Malachi to Matthew, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we know that there's no sudden transformation in God. Our God's triple holiness hasn't diminished one bit. And neither has God's high view and high expectation for his people. And so I preach God's word to you from 1 Peter 1. We are the holy church of Jesus Christ, for we are redeemed by his blood, called to a separate life, and set apart for eternity. Firstly, then, we are redeemed by Christ's blood. In our text this morning, there's an important shift of thought. We know that from the very first word, verse 13, therefore. Among preachers, it's an old joke. When you come to a therefore like this, you need to ask, what's the therefore Therefore, that is, why is the author now making a transition? The word therefore looks back and then draws a conclusion. So what's it looking back at? Well, we don't have far to look. We're only 13 verses into this letter. And so Peter wants us to recall the wonderful things he's spoken of so far. Earlier on, he's called us God's elect, chosen from eternity. He has spoken about our new birth into God's family through the power of the Spirit. He's written about the living hope we have through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's described the unfading inheritance that is ours by faith. Yes, he has laid out the great privilege of knowing salvation. In profound terms, Peter has already described the riches of our redemption. He's affirmed how that holy triune God is at work for our good. 
how out of mere grace, Father, Son, and Spirit have made us their own possession. And so now in verses 13 to 17, and even for the rest of the letter, Peter gives us the so what. In real terms, he explains the consequences of it all. How then are we going to live? What will we do in response to God's grace? We'll get to those matters shortly, but let's first notice how quickly Peter wants to return to that theme of salvation. Already in verses 18 to 19, he reminds us again of how it's all possible. There we read, You know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Peter says, lest we forget, it's because of Christ. Only through his blood is any of this possible. Without that blood, we have no life. Without that blood, we have no hope. Without that blood, beloved, we could try to do good. We could try to believe, but every effort would be in vain. For we need Christ's blood to redeem us from that empty way of life handed down to us from our forefathers. We see here that Peter is writing to a mixed body of believers. Some in these churches were Gentile, some were Jewish. Those Gentiles in his church used to lead a worthless existence. They worshipped idols, they were slaves to sin. But those Jews too used to be lost. Many thought obeying the law was just the ticket to heaven. It was an empty way of life, Peter says, and yet it was all they knew. And beloved, we include ourselves with these Christians that Peter addresses. We too once were lost. We too, that is, would be stuck trying to save ourselves, if not for the grace of God. We too would be captives, enslaved by sin, rotting away on death row, prisoners in the dungeon of the devil, locked up and no key to be found. But from all that, Peter says, we've been redeemed, set free. The price to pay for our freedom was not any passing material thing like silver or gold or a line of credit. It was blood, precious blood, the blood of a lamb. Writes Peter, this Jesus was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Hear those words of our God. The eternal Savior was revealed for our sake. That is, he was born to be killed for our life. His blood was poured out for 
our holiness. He was forsaken that we might belong to God. Beloved, all your shameful sins, all my ugly stains, all that darkness that has settled over our hearts, yes, the entire burden of our condemnation is taken away through the blood of Jesus Christ. At great cost, God has redeemed us. God has set us free and beloved for what? That we might live for him. That you and I, former sinners, formerly dead, might be holy unto God. Let's try to grasp what a miracle this truly is. The prophet Isaiah standing before the thrice holy Lord in his temple He was confronted with his own filthiness and shame. Woe to me, he cried, I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips, and I have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Yes, not one of us could stand in the temple of our God. He is the God so holy, he cannot tolerate any sin. He is the God so just that he needs to punish wrongdoing with eternal fire. He is the God so pure that he is holy, not just once, but holy, holy, holy. Woe to us, we ought to say. We are ruined. We are a people of unclean hearts. Every time we sing those much-loved words in hymn four, remember how God's holiness shook Isaiah to the core. He saw that before this God, he was nothing. Before this God, he might only have been human flesh for zapping. Yet remember, too, how God then took away Isaiah's guilt how he atoned for his sin. In grace, for the sake of his coming son, God took the initiative and God made that impure Isaiah into someone who is clean and holy and ready to serve. And beloved, no matter what you have done, no matter where you have been, God does the same for us. Paul writes to the Ephesians, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water to present her to himself without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. There you have it. The holy God has made us holy. In baptism, the holy God has sprinkled each of us with holy blood. And he's called us his holy people. So now we, the redeemed, 
are called to a separate life. Peter has amply shown that we have every reason to love and serve the Lord. So now it's time to drive that point home. Therefore, says Peter, prepare your minds for action. Literally, Peter says in this verse, gird up the loins of your mind. That's a vivid image. We know that people back in Bible times wore long outer robes. It was a good way to stay cool in that hot climate. But these robes were no good for when you had to work or for when you had to run. And so people sometimes would gird them up, tuck their robes into their belt to free themselves for action. And that's what Peter calls us to do. He says, seeing the holy task before you, you have to remove whatever hinders, whatever restricts. That means, beloved, we must ask ourselves, are there things that keep me from actively serving this holy God? Are there things that trip me up? For example, beloved, does your pride get in the way when it's time to serve others? Or are you so occupied by your own pursuits that you have very little time for doing good? Are you too busy having fun to be serious about a relationship with God? Do you spend too much of your money on other things to have any left over for giving to the Lord? Peter says, clear those things away. Make changes to your life. Make changes to your attitude so that you can rightly serve. Let nothing in your life remain that prevents you from offering your life to God. And be self-controlled. Peter returns to this exhortation a few times in this book. Be self-controlled. And by its very repetition, we know it's a vital command for Christians. For beloved, if we're going to commit everything we are to God, our hands, our mouths, our brains, we need to be firmly in control of ourselves. The problem is it's easy to lose control. And when we talk about losing control, let's not only think of people who drink too much and start acting like fools. Let's not only think of people who can't resist falling into bed with whomever they meet. No, true self-control is much more comprehensive than that. For, beloved, we lose control when we stop denying ourselves. We lose control when we simply do whatever we please. Never mind what God has said. And this means losing self-control is not being disciplined enough to do devotions every day. Losing self-control is being careless with your tongue 
when you've got something to say. Losing self-control is being wayward with your eyes when you see something that you like. Losing self-control is letting your mind take whatever path it wants down to bitterness or fantasy or greed. Instead, Peter will say that being self-controlled is offering your talents for God's kingdom. It's harnessing your energy and your time and your thoughts for serving Christ's church. And Peter goes on in verse 14. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Remember for a moment how it used to be or how it would be if not for Christ. We'd be captives to sin. We'd be subject to Satan. Yet Christ has set us free from all that. Now then, Peter says, leave those old ways completely behind. Do not conform. For us, it's also easy to conform. When we're with other people, when we're surrounded on every side by the world, it's hard not to go with the flow. And yet God says we are to be different. We are supposed to stand apart. Now we must live our lives, as Peter says, verse 17, as strangers. That's how Peter described us back in verse 1 also. God's elect strangers in this world. Now Peter makes it an exhortation. Be strangers on this earth. Be strangers, beloved. Surrounded by a wicked society, Christ calls us to show that we're set apart, that we're separate as a church, that because of him, we're different than all the rest. We should not desire all the same things the world desires. We should not talk the same way that they talk. We should not worship the same heroes that they worship. We should not be watching the same profane and sexualized things that they watch. We should not value the same empty things that they value. God has set us apart from all that. These are unholy things. Rather, be strangers, God says. Stand apart in this world by doing good, by speaking kindly, by being dedicated to worship, by seeking the things that are above. Be strangers. Not because you don't like other people, not because you can't afford it. Be strangers, says Peter, because you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially. Indeed, there are always some Christians who claim 
it doesn't matter how we live. Because after all, we believe in Christ. Through him, all our misdeeds will be forgiven. But Peter reminds us that our loving Father is also that righteous judge. He is also that holy God who can't tolerate our sin. Yes, He is the God who judges the secrets of every heart out of a holy fear for the holiness of God, we must answer his call to stand apart. And that brings us back to the central command in this text and the central command in this entire letter, verses 15 and 16. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Peter here recalls that Old Testament teaching that was the foundation of Israel's life. As God was pure, so they had to be pure also. And the very same thing holds true today. God's children have to be like their father. Our God is holy, even three times over. Now we must be holy too. Peter makes it a sweeping command, be holy in all that you do. You'd be hard-pressed to find a more comprehensive command. It covers pretty much everything in life. And what does it mean How are we to be holy in everything? Well, we can say that being holy has a negative and a positive meaning. Negatively, just as it meant for the Israelites, beloved, holiness means that we strive to put away all that is impure, everything that is unclean. And we're not talking about eating pork or shellfish. No, we're talking about telling dirty jokes. About going to the wrong kinds of places on the weekend. We're talking about passing on gossip. Being quick with an insult. Burning with lust. Worshipping our money. Such are the ways of living that are impure and unholy. We must be separate. From all that. Rather and positively, our holiness calls us to give to God our worship. And the worship we're talking about is not presenting grain and one year old heifers at the temple like the Israelites did. No, our worship is giving God our first fruits, it's seeking fellowship with other saints. It's sending up constant prayers. Yes, even more, being dedicated to worship is a lifestyle. Our words, our thoughts, our actions, even in those little mundane moments when no one else is looking, even those should resound to the praise of God. 
And so then, beloved, our homes should be holy. Places of devotion to God. Our leisure should be holy. They should be times for which we can truly give God our thanks. Our daily work must demonstrate our holiness, showing that we are not working for man, but for God. Our relationships with fellow saints must shine with holiness. Relationships full of that awareness that we're in this together, that we're in this to serve. Even our contact with our next-door neighbors must be holy contact. Our words full of grace. Our actions full of love. Yes, just like holiness is an all-encompassing thing for God, so it must be for us. Holy in all that we do. Sounds like a tall order. Sounds difficult. Maybe sounds good on Sunday, but hard to do on Monday. But here we consider again that account in Isaiah 6. When Isaiah, the sinner, was made pure by God, he knew that he had to step forward for holy service. Sure, he was terrified at the thought of being sent by God. Who is he to speak God's words? Who is he, a sinner, to carry out God's will on the earth? Yet Isaiah knew he had to do it. For God had made him holy. God had called him. And now Isaiah had to answer that call. Here am I, he said. Send me. In like manner, we all need to step up and stand out as the people of God. It'll be hard. It'll take work. But God, the living God, has made us holy. So we can be holy. God has made it possible. He has given us the tools. He has given us the motivation. Who are we to stay in the shadows if God has called us into the light? So why did God set us apart? Does God want us to be strangers in this world just for as long as we live and then be buried in our own corner of the graveyard? Will that be the end of the story? No, beloved, the eternal God always has an eternal goal. Just think, we were chosen in the foreknowledge of the Father, even before time began. Christ was set apart as our Savior even before the creation of the world. Our God is working according to a plan that is far greater, wider, far more eternal than we can ever understand. And so then would God make us holy just for 70 or 80 years of life? 
Would God be satisfied with a people who are his special possession for a handful of decades, if that? Would the precious blood of Christ be well spent if salvation was only for this time on this earth? No, beloved, there is much more. And that's why Peter urges his readers in verse 13, set your hope fully on the grace to be given when Jesus Christ is revealed. Christ was revealed once. He bought grace to this earth at one time. But he'll be revealed again. And he'll bring with him grace that is far greater than anything we've experienced. Notice how Peter says it. Set your hope fully on this grace. For this activity too takes an effort. It requires work, beloved, for us to put our hope in the right place. Indeed, for most of us, that eternal goal is not something we think about a whole lot. Perhaps we do when we battle a life-threatening illness. Perhaps when a loved one has passed away, then we'll think about our eternal home. But more often, this hope just fades into the background of the busyness of life. Peter understands this. Peter knows that as Christians, we often think that Serving God is about staying out of trouble and doing good for as long as we live. Peter knows that we take our eyes off the goal. But in God's eyes, being holy is about the next life, just as much as it is about this life. We're redeemed by Christ now and forever. His precious blood will never lose its value. As Peter has said, our inheritance will not perish, spoil, or fade away. On that we must set our hope. Yes, being the people of God means a complete change of direction. Being the holy people of God means a new set of priorities. A radical change in vision. Being holy calls us to be strangers in an attractive world. Calls us to stand apart in a time of conformity. And being holy calls us to eternity. Because we're holy, Christ calls us to join him where he is. Yes, because we're holy One day we too will stand before God's glorious throne. And then we too will join in that wondrous chorus. The song we hear in Isaiah 6. And then again in Revelation 4. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Who was and is and is to come. One day in the presence of our God will stand in awe of him, seeing that he's so much greater than we ever knew. 
Let us then set our hope on that day. Let us then prepare ourselves for that moment. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. To him be all our praise. Amen.